He is the God of Sinai who has flexed his cosmic muck. He is the God who by his cross crushed the greater Pharaoh's head, Satan. He is the God who by his cross has made our sins stand up at attention and he has wiped them away in a flood of blood. He is the God who on the third day rose from the dead right there on Zion and made death itself die, leaving its bones there on the mountain. He is a God of dominating power. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Jesus Christ taught us that everything has to be fulfilled that is written about him in the Psalms. And today we're going to pick up Psalm 68. The Apostle Paul teaches us that this psalm is finally fulfilled in the ascended and risen Jesus. This is what the psalm says. Mount Bashan, majestic mountain. Mount Bashan, rugged mountain. Why gaze in envy, you rugged mountain, at the mountain where God chooses to reign? where the Lord himself will dwell forever. The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. When you ascended on high, you took many captives. You received gifts from people, even from the rebellious that you, Lord God, might dwell there. The word of the Lord. It's come to my attention that the festival of the ascension of our Lord is in many ways a festival of images. I get up early on Monday morning like normally do. I pop open my worship plan or I want to see what I'm going to be preaching on on Sunday at Psalm 68. I read the psalm. My mind is blown by the power of the poetry. It is image after image after image. I'm swept away. I got to get in my car. I got to take my daughter to school. I got to go from there to a meeting. I meet with these pastors every month for word and prayer. I get there. The pastor does the opening devotion. He's doing a devotion on the ascension of our Lord because we're celebrating the ascension of our Lord this week. He, during devotion, gets out this image. It's a painting from the painter Salvador Dali, always a provocative painter. And it's this image, this stunning image from the perspective of somebody who's looking up at Jesus ascending into heaven. All you see at first is Christ's feet. You look up a little bit further and you see Christ. He's in this perfect power of 
posture of symmetrical power. It's a stunning image. I go home. I'm driving. I make a few phone calls. After I make some phone calls, I start thinking about the ascension myself. And I realize that the ascension itself is a stunning image. See, I worry sometimes that that people think that the ascension was somehow a physical necessity for Christ. Like in order for him to get to heaven, what he had to do was levitate off the earth, take a celestial subway that takes a right past Mars so he can get to where heaven is somewhere out in the Milky Way. The ascension wasn't a physical necessity for Christ. It is a physical reality that points to a great spiritual truth. Christ is on high. Living and ruling for us. So we have all these images. And what I'd like to do today in these short verses, just a snippet from Psalm 68, is I'd like to show you three images. Each of these images, in turn, point to something different about Christ. First of all, they're, they're going to point down to Christ. Then they're going to point up to Christ. And then finally, they're going to point sideways to Christ. The first image is Bashan. Glorious, majestic Mount Bashan. Today and in the Bible, it's also called Mount Hermon. You can actually experience it on YouTube if you want to. Mount Bashan is this glorious, snow-capped, 9,000-foot mountain in northern Israel, making Israel one of the few places on earth where in one moment you can be down on the beach getting a sunburn, and in the next you can be up on a mountain strapping on some skis and putting on your coat. Mount Bashan, glorious Mount Bashan. Still today, it's a strategic place for the Israeli military. They call it the eyes of Israel because it's such a strategic mountain keeping out Iran and and Syria. Glorious, strategic, beautiful Mount Bashan. And did you notice what David the psalmist did with it? He mocked it. (laughs) He mocked it. Don't you love poetry? I love poetry. Hey, Bashan, you know, I'm down here on Mount Zion, 6,000 feet down. Hey, Bashan, down here. Why are you so jealous? Why are you so envious? Is it because, Bashan, you know that God isn't on you? Is it because you can see that down here, 6,000 feet below, God dwells on Zion forever? There's your first image. Bashan, this beautiful, this tall, this strategic, this snow-capped mountain, looks down at Zion and can't stand it. Because apparently you can have every physical advantage, but the one thing that matters is what you can't see. 
where God is. On Zion. I want to lower you into this, what this means for the church today. I always have this worry as a pastor that when I talk about Ascension Day, people have some misconceptions about it, like they look at Christ ascending into heaven physically, and they kind of think to themselves, well, he left because he was done with his work, you know? Christ died on the cross. He paid for our sins. He sat on the cross. It's finished, so it's really finished. He went up to heaven, and he did that because he's kind of, you know, dusting his hands off from the war, kind of leaving behind the battle, you know? No, 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 no. To say it like the Apostle Paul said it, Christ ascended into heaven not to withdraw, not to leave, but in fact to fill all of heaven and earth. Christ ascended into heaven not to withdraw, not to leave us, but to be God to be crowned king, to do everything that he promised to do. He didn't withdraw. He's doing everything there in heaven. <laughs> Don't mistake it. So where, push into this the next way, where then does he sit down? Where is his throne? The psalmist tells you. It's in Zion. Zion in the Psalms is a cipher for the church. Where is Christ reigning? Where is Christ living forever? Here. Right here. I was in a class um, with a bunch of other pastors recently. And this professor was trying to make this case. He was saying that in the Western world, America's a part of that, a lot of people actually live most of their lives on Bayesian. You know, there's a lot of strategic, beautiful peaks you got to climb in life, you know? And so what happens is the church becomes a tack-on to their real life that actually happens back in Bayesian. So it's not that their lives revolve around the church. It's not like they come into the church and, and man, we, we come to church to, with our sin to be forgiven, with our anxieties to be, be, be filled with peace, with, with our worries to know that Christ lives and rules for us. It's not that we, you know, you know live in the church and, and for the church and, and by the church. It's actually that we live for Bashan and we do the church when we have a time. And he said to the pastors, he said, if you're not sure about this, then talk to Christian parents. Ask them if there's, a, if, if there's a conflict between soccer club and coming to catechism class where the pastor teaches the Bible to the kids. Ask them which one they choose. And all the pastors got real quiet because we knew exactly what Christian parents would choose. So here's your image. Hey, Bashan, 9,000 feet up there. Would you feel better about yourself if you had a better resort? 
would that remind you that everybody there still dies? And then it's only on Mount Zion where you get the bread of life. <laughs> hey, Bajan, would you, would you feel better about yourself? Would you feel more beautiful if you were a little taller? Would you, would you feel more powerful if you were more strategic? Why are you so jealous? Is it because you know that in Zion, that's where God is working his plan? Is it because you realize that it's there in Zion where God is granting peace and eternal life? Is that it? So that's your first image. You have this image where the ascension points down to a certain place where Christ dwells forever in his church. But now here's your second one. We have this image that points up. We have this image of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of chariots of God. Gleaming, battle-ready tanks of God, a sea of chariots, the psalmist says. These, of course, are poetic language for angels. They are God's honor guard for when he moves from Sinai, the psalm says, to Zion. Now you have to read that like a, like a Christian who knows their Bible, this God who comes from Sinai. This is the cosmic, dominating Powerful God. The God of Sinai is the God who came from Sinai. And he wiped the world's superpower off the planet, leaving his body on the shores of the Red Sea. A guy named Pharaoh. The God of Sinai is, is the God who then took the waters of the Red Sea and made them stand up straight at, at attention so that his people could walk down the middle. The God of Sinai is the God who went into the wilderness, into the desert, and he becomes, in effect, this glorious rain cloud who is raining down manna and quail for his people out of the middle of nowhere. The God of Sinai, so the psalm says, is a God who takes his people into the promised land. And when their enemies come after them, he takes them and he leaves their bones. So, so many bones on Mount Hermon that it looks like snow is capping the mountains. This God of Sinai is a God of dominating power. And this is the God who has come to Zion. Dolly's painting is troubling in a lot of ways. But it is also life-giving. In Dolly's painting, you see Christ's feet in the center of the painting. But if you examine the painting closely, what you notice is that there's dirt on the feet. Because Jesus Christ is the one who came from Sinai to Zion. 
He is the God of Sinai who has flexed his cosmic muscles. He is the God who by his cross crushed the greater Pharaoh's head, Satan. He is the God who by his cross has made our sins stand up at attention and he has wiped them away in a flood of blood. He is the God who on the third day rose from the dead right there on Zion and made death itself die, leaving its bones there on the mountain. He is a God of dominating power. So let me reflect on that with you just for a second. I think one of the most interesting things about the festival of the ascension of our Lord is that hardly any Christians actually celebrate it. In fact, did you know it was actually on Thursday? Did you know that? Exactly. So what happens is Christians like, Christian churches like ours, that actually care about the the traditions of, of, of the church and about Christianity. Because the Ascension Day historically is, is right up there for Christians with Christmas and with Easter. What we do is we take it off Thursday because we don't think anybody will come and we put it on Sunday when people actually come and then you can celebrate the ascension of our Lord. What happened, you know? What happened to the ascension? Well, I think a number of things. I think, one, there's a lot of biblical illiteracy. So a lot of people don't realize this is one of the great acts of Jesus Christ. So there's a lot of biblical illiteracy. Also, Christian traditions and institutions are being torn down at an alarming rate so that even Christians don't even realize these are, these are the traditions of the church. This is what we do. We honor Jesus Christ in his life. But I think there's an even bigger issue. I'd suggest to you this, that the festival of ascension rises and falls with how self-sufficient people think they are. Because if you live with the illusion that all you ought to do in life is have the right amount of money and the right amount of health care and make the right choices and punch a couple buttons, then why would you need a reigning king? If you live with the illusion that your life is kind of like, you know, your air conditioning, you just punch a button. Change the temperature and you change your life. (laughs) Then why do you need a Jesus who guides and rules and guards your life with dominating power? Of course, I think that our hearts know that we need this Jesus more than our heads do which is why Americans today are suffering from alarming levels of anxiety. Their heads tell them they are in control, but their hearts tell them they are not. So here's your image. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of chariots 
gleaming angels of God who are God's honor guard, taking him, ushering him, the ascended Lord, from Mount Sinai to Zion where he takes his seat. And let me tell you about this Jesus. Every world power must bow the knee. Every virus must bow the knee. Every sea must bow the knee. Every leaf that rustles, every every pipeline that gets hacked, every little piece of this universe must take the knee to Jesus. And that's what you get to take in on Ascension Day. You know, I think this, I think that of all the great works and acts of Jesus, what's really cool today is that while we didn't get to see Christ's crucifixion, while we only get to receive the benefits of that forgiveness, while we didn't get to see Christ risen from the dead, and we accept the witness of the people who did, and and we understand that it means eternal life, we didn't see any of that stuff. We do get to see ascension. Because every leaf that rustles in front of you, every car that turns right, every pipeline that gets hacked, every headline that makes the newspaper is guided and stopped and performed and made and changed and transformed by the ascended Lord Jesus. So that's your second image. You get this image of of these chariots, this God who moves from Sinai to Zion, who is in control of every aspect of your life. Here's your last image today. It's an image that points sideways. So what the psalm goes on to say is that This Jesus, this king, he who sits down in Zion. That when he sits down, that there are people, even rebels, the psalm says, who turn to him in repentance and faith. So that, where before they were him. They were rebellious against him. They didn't want to believe in him or follow him. They turn to him and they end up giving him gifts. They end up honoring him. They give him stuff. Now, we know from the Apostle Paul that this is Jesus, because the Apostle Paul tells us that. But what the Apostle Paul does is he takes the psalm, and he actually climaxes the point of the psalm. Because he goes one step further than the psalmist. The psalmist says that these rebels, what they do is they turn to Christ, and they give Christ gifts. But Paul goes on to say, here's here's what the ascended king does. What he does is he turns right back around, and he takes those former rebels, and then he gifts them. Back to the church. See, Paul says this. This amazing line from Paul. What he says is this. When Christ ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So Christ 
himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. And it's the last one that I think you should pay attention to today because it's the last one that we know is still in force today. Christ gave the gift of pastors to the church. So look sideways. Here I am. I am a gift to the church. A former rebel. But somebody gifted right back to the church to bless you. I was talking about this with my twin brother. He's also a pastor up in New York City. And he said Ascension Day, it's kind of like Christmas, actually, for the church. Because what you get to do is you get to look at and open the present that you got in your church. (laughs) So here I am. I'm a gift of Christ. It's important to realize that. It really is, because you can do one of two errors. You can either think too highly of the pastor, too lowly of the pastor. If you think too highly of the pastor, then you think of the pastor as the gift of the church. He's not that. He's neither the gift of the church nor the giver of the gifts to the church. That's Christ. (laughs) You don't want to think too highly of the pastor. You also don't want to think too lowly of the pastor. He is a gift. He's not the gift. He's not the giver. He's a gift. But he is a gift. You know, you don't want to look at it and go like, where's the return policy on this one, Jesus? He is a gift. You know, I was thinking about that this week for two reasons how I am a gift to the church as much as I give you all Christ. I was thinking about that for two reasons. The first reason is that we have a new pastor dog in our house. We got a puppy. They used to call him pastor dog. Sometimes they call him Australian shepherds. She's half pastor dog. You know what she does? I've noticed this about her. She's a tiny little puppy. But you know what she does? She watches me. Our last dog never did it like that. She watches me. She wants to take my cues. Because I'm the shepherd of the family. See, as much as I'm a sheepdog like that, as much as I take my cues from the shepherd, then I bless you. See, and it's good. I think it's, it's really good for the church to think about that because a lot of times what you have to do with your pastor is you have to see through him to what Christ is doing. So that when he starts barking at you, it's only because he's trying to scare away the dangers. Or when he starts nipping at your heels. 
It's only because he wants you to be with the rest of the sheep. Or when he comes close to you and he wants to nurture you, it's because Christ wants, himself wants to nurture you. So I was thinking about it because I'm staring at this little pastor dog. But I was also thinking of it because of this. You know, it really is ascension here at peace. It really is. It's ascension because today we are remembering together that Jesus really is alive and that he is living and reigning right here in our midst so that even Bashan has to look down on us 6,000 feet below and get jealous of us. He's living and, he, and he's reigning so that every turn and tide of world history has to work in our favor because the chariots are all his. But today, we can also look sideways. You know, we've gone through a lot of firsts together as a church, haven't we? We had our first worship service together. We had our first baptism together. We've had our first communion together. We built our first building together. We dedicated our first building together. Now we've gone through our first pandemic together. And through it all, I've been your first and only pastor. The first and only person who's brought you the word of God publicly Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And now we're going to have another first. For the first time in our history, a second preacher is going to be pressed in service among us. You know, I didn't think it was going to happen. A few months ago, I kind of had this stray idea. I said to our elders at our church, maybe we could get a vicar. Well, the elders thought it was a great idea. So then the elders brought it to a congregational meeting, and the whole entire congregation thought it was a great idea. So we applied to get a vicar. And I still didn't think we were going to get one. Because as it turns out, there were a whole bunch of churches who also wanted a vicar more than normal. So I thought for sure I was going to have to come back to you and say, sorry, you guys, we got denied. But Jesus is good, and he's still ascended, and it's going to be okay. But sure enough, we're going to get a vicar. And I think I know why. I think it's because this church knows how to receive gifts. Because you've received this one. You've allowed me to grow and continue to grow into the man of God that he wants me to be. And you know what? I think you're going to do the same for a vicar. So it must be ascension. Because, wow, Jesus this Wednesday is going to take another rebel. Somebody who has been bought and won by the blood of Christ and push him into the preaching ministry of this church.
Jesus is alive, peace. And he's ascended. So that even Bashan has to be envious. And the chariots are still rumbling. And this church can give thanks to God. It's last Sunday in the season of Easter, so we got to do this one more time. You ready? Jesus is risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.